This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Not all mortgage companies are created the same. And we're not all just either chocolate or vanilla. There are different flavors in some of these models. And our asset differentiation as compared to a Rocket or UWM or Guild or a Mr. Cooper or Penny Mac, we're, we're all mortgage companies, quote unquote, but we're very different. It's going to take some time for the analyst community to sort of figure that out. What makes Starbucks unique or why did Radio Shack not make it? There's lots of different models out there. And it's just going to take some time for all of this to shake out. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media, and I'm bringing you a really timely conversation today. We have Anthony Shea, the founder and executive chairman of Loan Depot on the Housing News Podcast, just a day after they released their Q1 2022 earnings. And we talk about how this cycle, this mortgage cycle that we're in right now, is the first major cycle after Dodd-Frank and why it's different from what happened in 2018 and why it's different from what happened in 2008. We talk about how lenders are dealing with short-term realities, what's next for the mortgage market, and how technology may change the industry for the better as we look forward. I'm not gonna give away all of the expertise and knowledge that Anthony drops in this episode, so please give it a listen and rate the show on iTunes if you appreciate this knowledge and insight. Enjoy. Rocket Pro TPO is delivering more for partners with Cruise. It's a dedicated team of experts who help you navigate the mortgage process. You have direct access to underwriters, closing specialists, and purchase title coordinators working on your loans from start to finish. That means more accessibility, efficiency, certainty, and speed. Cruise is your team that knows your business. To learn more, visit rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. In MLS number 3030. Awesome. Well, Anthony, thanks so much for, for joining us. This is, um, I feel like the last few weeks have, uh, have really kind of shined light on, on where the, the mortgage industry is right now as we go into, uh, May of, of 2022. And, uh, I think we had a, a glimpse in, back in Q2, Q3 of 2021 of like where the market was going on, on refi volume. But it, it really feels like we're, we're going into a, a cycle that feel partially feels familiar, but other parts uh, f- feel kind of, feel kind of foreign. And um, there's a lot of folks in the housing industry with a, a lot of experience going through different cycles, but, but few with as many years of experience as you do leading as, as CEO. And I think you get three decades of, of mortgage banking um, CEO work. Is, is that correct? Jeez, Clayton, do we have to start off with uh, a <laughs> decades? But I, I, I told you we we're going to talk about the transition to executive chairman. Yeah. And so we got to start with okay. it. We got to start with the history. I gotcha. here. I gotcha. <laughs> um, well, there, there's one thing that I think we can, uh, no pun intended, take it, take to the bank. And that is 
everything in the mortgage industry is temporary. So um, no one should get comfortable um, either when we're in the valley or at the peak. Uh, it's always traveling. It's always moving. And that's just what you sign up for if you're in this you know, wild industry. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing industry. It's an uh, industry that someone like me being uh, a minority can, can succeed. It's, it's very much a, a performance industry. Um, but we, we, we have to understand for those uh, particularly that haven't seen the cycles before, you just got to get used to it. You got to get used to having your seatbelt on, putting your helmet on, and um, and just understand that the pain that you feel today uh, is is not permanent. And and moving forward, four, six, eight quarters, when the ten year yield starts to drop uh, in a will, I, I can guarantee you that. I can't tell you when, but it's going to drop. And when that happens, uh, and and you feel like you're on this exciting roller coaster ride just remember that's not going to last either so uh, that's just the industry that we're in it's a unbelievable industry where it can go from four and a half trillion to two trillion dollars in in the matter of six or seven months and that's just the way this industry is and uh, if you don't like it then uh there's plenty of other industries for you but march of 2020 uh if you look at the um if you look at the other direction and what the pandemic uh, created uh, the opportunities, the earnings power, and the market share, and all of those things. It's just a fantastic industry. I, I, I absolutely love this industry, and I hope everybody, you know, continues to do uh, their share to to raise the bar as far as our image as an industry. Yeah, it is it is phenomenal from from that respect. The the ability for people who are willing to to put in the work and build consumer centric organizations and and build out strong referral networks as originators can, can really achieve outside results for themselves and their families. So that, that is definitely a powerful part of the industry, but uh, you can't build that, that expectation around, um, around a refi cycle. You have to build it around uh, that, that consistent purchase business that um, those, those dips from four and a half trillion to two and a half trillion um, still have, give us that baseline of, of, of purchase business. Yeah. Purchase, there are two different markets and there's different different models for them. You know, analysts and investors always ask me, you know, what is your refi to purchase mix? And I said, I, I can make it. I can make my purchase mix 100 percent just by killing all my refis. So yep. I, I think that that is a question that from folks that maybe uh, are, are not educated about about our industry. Um, there's there's two markets. Somebody's got to serve. Uh, the 4.5 trillion uh, last year. So if everybody focuses on on the purchase business, then it wouldn't be as much fun. So certainly, you know, we are still industry that's dysfunctional. It's highly fragmented. Um, you know, number one and two ourselves and our number one competitor only have less than 15% market share. Where uh, the previous number one um, before the financial crisis had 22% market share. So we're still sort of healing from the financial crisis. It's still highly inefficient, uh, high cost of labor, and uh, and what, what you're what you're seeing right now is all this intense competition. Is look when you, when you have when you have six life jackets for ten bodies, it's not fun. 
I think it was about a year ago. I, I remember seeing you share a, a post on on LinkedIn of the um, I, I, forgot, I forgot if it was Inside Mortgage Finance or, or one of like the, the top twenty rankings of mortgage banking shops in two thousand and six. And I think it was um, I think you had crossed through about fifteen of them that were that were no longer in business in in twenty twenty. So is that is that kind of that life jacket reference that that you point to there? Well, that's you know that's the mortgage market cycle from the financial crisis, which caused this complete reset. It's almost like a pinball machine going tilt uh, in the financial crisis. But I think what's really being highlighted today is the capacity readjustment in the industry. And every you know, no one likes uh, job loss in, 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 in a specific company or industry. But we also have to understand that's the only way the mortgage industry protects itself is by adjusting to current capacity. I mean, if you're in the business of making Levi's blue jeans, you know, you can't forecast losing 40% of your orders next year because of some uncontrollable event such as uh, inflation. Um, you know, our, the industry is going to go through a 40% adjustment or 50% adjustment. And at the end of the day, someone is going to have their job reduced in our industry. And if it doesn't, it is bad for the industry because the industry can't support the bloated cost. And ultimately, if it's bad for the industry, it's bad for the consumers because they're going to pay more. So the industry over the course of the last 50 years have adapted itself to be ex incredibly agile. I mean, we, we went from a 2018 market to 2020 market in a matter of, I think we went from under $2 trillion to $4.5 trillion. And you forget the fact that it, it takes an enormous amount of, of, of work for us to provide the financing for rate and term refis that save families literally billions of dollars each year. Uh, that's, that's through mortgage lenders. And mortgage lenders, yes, we're for profit just like any other business. But we, there is an underlying benefit to society in what we do as, as an industry. So now, you know, we mushroomed up to four and a half trillion and helped hundreds of thousands of, of families either obtain their home purchase or to reduce their monthly payment or to provide cash out. Now, interest rates are up. Families are saying, well, just kidding. We don't need four and a half trillion dollars of financing from you guys anymore. We only need two. So therefore, we have 50% excess capacity. We're sitting here saying, okay, what do we do with this thing? What do we do with all this excess capacity the industry is facing? And price wars are, are, are happening, which is good for the consumer. But uh, it's, it's very painful. Every time the industry goes through a cycle like this, it's painful. It's never, ever, ever fun. It never gets easier. I, I'm glad you bring up 2018 because I think to the, the industry observer or the, the newcomer, it's, it's easy to forget that 2018 was a, a really tough market. And if you look at headlines from, from Q4, that was like peak margin compression period. And I think there was probably more headcount reduction headlines in Q4 of 2018 that we've seen so far in the first half of, of 2022. And like the casual observer likes to point to like the last cycle we went through was 2008, 2009, 2010, but that's just not true. The industry like has had much more frequent cycle points. And, um, at least in 19 and 20, whether that was accelerated by by COVID in the rate environment, it's a, that's a different discussion, came back incredibly quickly. So it's, it's fascinating to see how quickly the industry can 
decide it needs to to shed roles, shed excess capacity. But I don't know, a quarter or two later, realize that rates are moving in the right direction and it's time to, to staff back up to meet that demand. We also need to, to, to remember, Clayton, and I'd like to point out that this cycle is the first what I call major cycle post Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank changed the world. So in all previous cycles, liquidity and capital and creativity among non-bank lenders was a lot more in play. Now, that creativity ultimately got us into trouble in, in the financial crisis. And Dodd-Frank understood that. And as a result of that, wrote legislation and regulations and laws that, that prevents the excess creativity of lenders that led us to some credit problems that ultimately led us into the financial crisis. Now, let me just give you some math. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing the law. I, I'm just, at the end of the day, my criticism doesn't do any good. And so I just want to point out this fact. That pre-financial crisis, over 60% of the fundings in our industry was done outside of Fannie, Freddie, FHA, and VA. So there's lots more capital. 60% was non-FHA, VA, Fannie, and Freddie. So you have you know, second mortgages, you have Alt-A's, you have Alt-B's, you have 80-20's. Yes, some of those crazy loan programs that are complete dinosaurs at this point, but understand that the amount of non-agency uh, was a lot more free flow than today. T- today, we're looking at, what, 13 years post Dodd-Frank? Over 90% of the financing today is still done by Fannie, Freddie, FHA, and VA. Now, that's, that's, that's a plus for non-banks because when you create an even playing field, and there is really no advantage to a bank by selling low interest rates through Fannie and Freddie. Non-banks figure out a better way and a better mousetrap, more efficient, less expenses, better experience, all of those things. That's why non-banks, for the first time, have increased their market share over well over 50%. That was not the case before. But now, rising interest rate, right? So you're going into hybrid arms. The hybrid arms are now slotted more towards the banks again, but the banks have different capital requirements, and it's a lot different than pre-crisis. We don't need to get into that. But, you know, you have a lot of local credit unions and tier two, tier three banks, you know, that are just here in this market, here in that market, northeast market, whatever market that's coming out with a 10-year arm. That makes it for for a non-bank, difficult for a non-bank to compete. So lots of things are different in this cycle, Clayton, that we have not seen before. And I don't have the answers of where we're going, but what it is uniquely different is the fact that we have loan officer compensation that we never have before. And we have uh, all types of different models that are being tested right now, whether it's the, the broker model, the retail model, the direct to the consumer model, the servicing protection model. There's all types of different models that are happening that are a lot more focused than, you know, decades past. Uh, but it is it is very different this time around. So the levers that non banks have to at their disposal today, it seems like people are are fastly or quick quickly chasing non QM product and trying to bring non QM into market. We're seeing increased interest in in reverse mortgages. The 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 HELOC programs are starting to become more prominent. We know 
Loan Depot recently launched a dig- digital HELOC program, which we can dive deeper into. The Im- improved cash flow from from servicing, and, th- and thank God there's some um, MSR value accretion right now. But we're missing some of those other levers that existed pre Dodd Frank. Is that is that what you're pointing at? Yeah, it, but there's some benefits this time around too, um, because it does create a tighter environment in, in which to create a competitive environment for for all so it's it creates a more even you know playing field so there is some advantages but it is different and this is the 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 first significant trend change 2018 was a little blip was sort of a little taste and a little test and then we had one early in the decade as well but loan depot grew 46 percent year after year on the average for the first 12 years of our life so Despite those markets, we still grown incredibly fast to to uh, now over three percent market share and being uh, number two on on the retail side as 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 non bank on the retail side. So there there is benefit from from the legislation in Dodd Frank, but what I'm pointing out is that it is it is uniquely different from before. So it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. It's hard to predict just because you have different regulations this time. So I, I believe in the earnings call uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, it was mentioned that the the belief is we're, we're early in this cycle. So if that's the belief and we're early in the cycle, what what's the playbook for an IMB to to be strong through the cycle, but come out the other side in a market share um, leading position and uh, and take advantage of kind of the the opportunity that disruption presents. We need to deal with short-term realities, and we must be very diligent to manage our expenses. However, never lose sight of our long-term strategic objectives. Now, that's easier said than done, but we must preserve the apparatus and our muscular frame so that when there is opportunities in the marketplace that we are well prepared to flex those muscles that we worked very hard for. I think companies that cut too fast, one of the things that you're giving up is your muscular infrastructure. So, you know, mortgages are hard to scale, Clayton. They're just not. They're just hard to scale. It takes it takes bodies. It takes time. It takes engineering. It takes training. It, it, it takes a lot. It's It's not... It's not easy to scale. That's why the market 13 years after Dodd-Frank is still incredibly fragmented. And the reason for that fragmentation is because scale is difficult. Scale is very, very difficult. And once you start tearing down scale, you know, you're you may be sacrificing short term uh, expense goals for your long term opportunity. So everybody has to find that fine balance. I mean, I I talk about this topic with our investors and, and board quite often. Like how do you prepare for the market conditions when you need to play offense and defense at the same time and prepare the the balance sheet and the PL to be to be lean and mean, but be be ready to pounce when the right acquisition or or right organic opportunity presents itself. So as you think about and and like, and you have different pressures than I do. Uh, you know, we're a small private company. You're, you're, you're publicly traded with analysts asking you questions all day long about <laughs> expense strategy. Um, so h- how do you build a model that 
allows you to manage expenses without cutting into the bone or cutting into the muscle that will enable Lone Depot to come out stronger. The, the cream will always rise to the top. And no, 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 no matter how much effort you provide into education, sometimes things just take time. You know, the analyst community that covered multiple publicly traded companies in the last cycle before the financial crisis, those analysts are no longer around. So we have a whole new set of analysts. And what is the strategic difference? And what are the asset differences beyond Goss, beyond volume, beyond market share? Not all mortgage companies are created the same. And we're not all just either chocolate or vanilla. There are different flavors in some of these models. And our asset differentiation as compared to a Rocket or UWM or Guild or a Mr. Cooper or Penny Mac or a New Res, we're, we're all mortgage companies, quote unquote, but we're very different. And it's going to take some time for the analyst community to sort of figure that out. So what's the difference between you know a retailer that sells toasters such as Amazon versus anybody else? It's just very, very different. What makes... What makes Starbucks unique in, in, in his coffee or, you know, why did Radio Shack not make it? So there, there's lots of different sort of uh, models out there. And it's just going to take some time for all of this to shake out. As we go through a market where originators seem to be picking up their heads and, and looking for the, the best place to, to hang a shingle through a, the cycle, I hear this like rhetoric that the grass is always greener. The uh, one IMB is just like the next IMB. But when you start observing the industry for long enough, you realize that there's distinctly different strategies and distinctly different cultures and distinctly different technology capabilities. Even if people have similar LOSs and, and similar tech stacks, it's, it's all implemented a little bit differently. How do you think about how the investor community and the originator community should see Lone Depot as like uh, distinctly different from the other players in the market. We have worked incredibly hard on setting up a diversified origination channel and arguably we're the most diversified today. The good news about that is it gives us a lot more ponds to fish from and it gives us a lot more revenue yeah. opportunity. The difficult part about that is anytime you have multiple products, whether you're in clothing, right? It doesn't matter. If you have more products, you have more management in order for you to streamline your inventory, right? So this is an area of highly um, focused area for us. And as we achieve more and more scale, that becomes much easier for us. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I've made some huge hires in the last uh, nine months, including George Brady, Zenet, and, uh, and most recently, Frank, Frank Martell. We have to bring world-class operators so that we can articulate and design and engineer the proper uh, plumbing to put all these areas of opportunities to increase efficiency together. Now, in 2010, we started as a complete organically de novo startup. In 2012, I went to Wall Street and said, I want to put loan officers in local markets. Every investment banker thought I was nuts and said, Anthony, you're, you're, you're building this virtual direct lending model. This is 2012. We're going virtual. The world's going virtual. You can't go back to brick and mortar. And what I tried to convince the, the analysts at that time and the investment bankers is that it has nothing to do with brick and mortar. It has everything to do with the fact that mortgages are still broken. And the millennials, they are tech and digitally savvy. 
but they are not APR or financially savvy. They're going to still want someone to help them guide them. And guess what? We read that right. We made an acquisition in 2013. We're one of the largest scaled in-market or, if you want to call it, distributed retail uh, models out there today. And the loan officers that you're talking about that have choices in moving from lender A or lender B or lender C is simply because that customer still wants that consultant feel. Okay, so th- this is one of the areas why our biggest competitor, Rocket, has moved so much into TPO because that TPO still has that consultant approach. Okay, so we need to remember how long is this consumer behavior going to be that way? When mortgages get simplified and you do, no pun intended, when you do get a little closer to push button, get mortgage. How much more useful is that consultant and what happens then to a big behemoth like Amazon wanting to get in because you could push button, get mortgage. Right now, you can't push button, get mortgage. You push button, you get a great quote and then you get disclosure. A thousand phone calls. That's right. <laughs> and then and you, get, you get placed on a dialer and you get beat up. So we're, we're still we're not only early in this cycle. But we need to remember that we're really early in this digital disruption in consumer behavior, and mortgages are still very far behind. So the consultant approach is still – the customer is always right, and the customer is talking very loudly here, and that is I, I like to talk to a human. That's interesting the, that we're really early in, in digital disruption. I think the, the vernacular of digital mortgage is – is 20 years old at, at this point. And, and you were on the forefront of digital mortgages um, pre-Loan Depot and have been active in investing in technology throughout the, the time you've been building this business. Uh, Mello first popped on my radar in, in 2018. And I think there's been some evolution of like the, the Mello strategy. So can you tell us a little bit more about like technology inside of LD and, and what role Mello plays in that effort? As you know, technology is a journey. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a destination. You never get there and cross your arms and say, wow, that was fun. It, it is a constant, constant grind. Um, you know, the way that uh, we looked at uh, technology uh, since 2010 was that we needed to, to create technology that created a better consumer experience. So we spent really the first six years uh, developing technology that's more customer friendly. Uh, and then in the last six years, we develop technology more so to create efficiencies behind the scenes. And the market has, uh, the industry has done a good job, uh, you know, with, with companies such as Blend, although, you know, they're, 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 they're having their challenges now too. But, um, and then ICE and, you know, all, all these guys that are, that, that are providing um, um, products for the industry has generated really good product. And we are supportive of that. And the, the way that we look at technology today is very different from the way that we looked at technology just six years ago. And that is six years ago, we were discounting anything over the shelf because it was just, it was just not ready. Today, there's a lot of over-the-shelf systems that is very capable. And the way we look at it is, does it give us a competitive advantage? by building something. If it does not give us a competitive advantage, you know, if we were Tesla, we're not going to build our own 
tire to compete with Michelin. You buy a Michelin and you get on with life and you, you put your resources in where you believe can give you a competitive advantage. So that's the way we look at technology now. And that is if we can buy it and it makes, you know, it, it gives us par for the course and everybody else. And that's that's fine. But there's no reason to go out and build a car if you can buy one. Yeah, it seems like the in the software and solutions world in the housing industry, there was a period where everybody wanted to be end to end and build a solution that would help originators take a loan from from marketing to origination to processing, underwriting, secondary market, servicing. And it feels like that's changed a lot as people have developed, the software players have developed their core competencies and started to realize how building a best of breed tech stack is, is good for them as a software operator and entrepreneur, but also good for, for the clients. And I, I think one of the missteps and like the, the end to end goal was the point that, that you made earlier is that even if you look at the top 10 players in the Humda list, everybody has a distinctly different strategy and a different funding approach and a different culture. So how much of like that realization that, these new software companies are are now able to integrate and work together. How much has that changed your your internal technology strategy of what you what you buy or build? You know, tech is hard. It's it's difficult. I mean, de- yeah. dealing with loan officers all my life, you know, teaches you a thing or two about dealing with people. But you know what? Wait till you deal with engineers. They're completely different different species. So technology is constantly evolving, and and there's there's a, there's also a, an element of paranoia. When it comes to technology, and that is what is coming down in the next two to three years that makes you a dinosaur, it makes you obsolete. The mortgage process is incredibly complex, right? Because you have not only different models, you have pricing models, you have point of sale, you have loan origination system, you have servicing systems, you have capital markets, you you have all this stuff from A to Z at the end of the day it is very difficult for a company to control all of it. So you're going to have to plumb in outside technology to go along with that. Otherwise, by the time you build your alphabet, the first part of what you built is already obsolete. So it's, 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 a, constant, it's a constant journey. And that's one of the reasons why you know, our, our, our industry is still um, massively fragmented because you're over-the-shelf tech providers to, to a certain extent, they have to have one size fits all. So whether you're a $5 billion player, a $25 billion player, whether you're wholesale, retail, if you're frag, whatever your model is, you're buying the same software system. Now, there's some flexibility and there are different products have more flexibility than others. But you can see that, you know, where the food chain is, you know, there's some technology providers that are going after smaller players, some are going after large players, Um but it's it's complex and it's highly highly fragmented. So with with Mello, I, I believe when you announced the digital HELOC product, it was announced that that HELOC product sits inside of Mello. Is Mello also the home of your technology stack for the distributed retail business, or how does Mello fit with like the rest of the the organization? Clayton, one of the mistakes that I made is I, I should have named the, the company Mello from 2010. But dummy me <laughs> thinking that um, thinking that the digital digital disruption uh, is going to create more opportunities for lending. So I was focused on the liability side of uh, consumer needs, whether it be personal loans, which is something that we did, um, 
you know, it, that's why we named it, or I named it Loan Depot. We didn't call it Home Loan Depot or Mortgage Depot. And little did I know, you know, getting into this thing in 2013, 14, 15, I started to realize, oh, man, you know, there's going to be a giant collision between real estate financing and real estate services. You know, Zello's coming into the lending sandbox and we are going into the real estate sandbox because at the end of the day, it's the same customer. So it's, it's, it's hard to keep product separations the same customer forever. So at some point, you know, products and services is going to come together to delight that customer. That customer wants bundle services and one neck to choke anyways in a single brand of trust. So, you know, the, the, the Mellow brand is really uh, an extension of um, Lone Depot. Uh, and certainly our number one competitor is going through the same problem yeah. uh, or same challenge. Right, right as you're telling still. this story, I'm thinking of the, the correlation in my head to other rebrandings in the space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we both, it's not a trap, but we, we both recognize uh, the opportunities in the space uh, because, you know, one of the differentiated assets that Loan Depot has is we are the second largest performance marketing home loan lender in the country, probably in the world. Uh, last year, we generated 10 million unique homeowner leads at the top of the funnel. And we are vertically integrated to be a mortgage lender. So we offer you mortgage refinancings. We offer you mortgage, you know, home purchases. But that homeowner lead wants solar, it wants debt consolidation, it wants personal loans, it wants to sell its house, it wants to maintain its house. There's buy and sell, finance and, and manage and maintain a house. Those are all products and services to the same customer. So all of that will mature in the next five to 10 years. And I would say it's going to accelerate in the cycle. If you just look at some of the um, uh, housing brands, uh, they're going through similar struggles as, as mortgage companies. And, you know, ultimately the 300 basis points or more uh, in mortgage lending is uh, too attractive for a real estate services company not to attach itself to. And at the same time, uh, for a large scale player such as ourselves, we need to provide real estate services, buy and sell services to our core customers. And how that will happen in the future uh, I think that's anybody's guess, but uh, whether it's a partnership, a joint venture, uh, or all-out acquisition, all of that is is highly likely uh, in 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 the next uh, three to five years. That's 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 really interesting. I mean, there's certainly been enough like pontification of um, where the first big real estate brokerage brand and and mortgage combination happens. It, I mean, that's part of our thesis at HW media is that mortgage and real estate are coming closer together. And if we're going to be a winner in this game, we need to cover both verticals, um, equally and, uh, and bring that knowledge to the market. So we're, we're always excited to see the industry moving in the, moving in the same direction. So is it safe to assume that mellow will be like a brand and home for where that homeowner experience starts to, uh, to, to come together a little bit more and, and, uh, and also, and how does that like play for like existing Loan Depot t team members? Like, do you expect to see like LDLOs in, in Milwaukee start to like associate as like mellow folks or how does that play? I, I, I think, you know, if you just, if, if, you know, this is not a copycat comment, but you know, I'm smart enough to, to, to see my, my competition. I think you're going to have to run with dual brands for, for some time because we, we, we have, we have equity 
in in Lone Depot yep. as a brand. We're the second most um, recognizable brand in non-bank lending. And, uh, you know, we have a freaking stadium in Miami named after us. So uh, we're going to have to leverage that brand. And, and, and that will be up to the marketing team to figure out how to do that. But most likely it'll be if it's consumer facing, it'll be something like, you know, you know, mellow home or mellow powered by Lone Depot or something, something like that. Um, but, it, you know, Lone Depot is very, very specific. And um, it, it is uh, it is a wonderful brand and has created a wonderful culture. But at the same time, it's it's not as consumer friendly because it's it talks about a loan. And we need we also need to remember, and this is not a knock on my on my on my real estate friends and partners, but we have to realize at the end of the day, n- none of us matters. It's only what the customer wants. So you know you have world class brands world-class from the perspective that they're widely recognized. Who doesn't know Century 21 or Coel Banker or Remax? So these are iconic real estate brands. But brands is supposed to stand for some sort of brand promise and brand image. So when a customer that wants to sell their home, what do they think when they think of Century 21, Coel Banker or Remax or Keller Williams, what, what, what's going through the consumers' minds? How do they know which brand is best for them? Even although they're highly recognizable, right? You know what they're doing? They're going to third parties trying to get an idea of how that specific Remax agent performs. So brand is not pulling. So this is where Zello and Homelight and, and Ideal Agent and all these third parties with no brand but a service promise to say that I will find you the best Remax agent. I will find you the best Century 21 agent. That's that's a broken industry. That's going to be very interesting. Very, very interesting because the consumer is confused. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think when you start, like, it's similar to the distributed retail loan origination model where it's very dependent on the individual that is in that town, in that community, um, and the the likelihood of somebody doing business with that person is highly driven by a referral from a friend, family member, or or neighbor. Um, potentially, the person is more important than the, the the brand they hang their their hat on in the local market real estate game. That's right, and you know the centralized model works a little different. So, you know there are some centralized real estate models out there that are starting to gain some traction, which is more about the institutional brand and service rather than an individual. And certainly that's where the direct lending model comes in. You know, when we're, when we're talking to a, a consumer, then the direct lending model, it's not about the individual. It's about the company brand promise. So this is where, you know, I, I think the industry is trying to figure itself out is how much of it is a institutional brand promise going to pull conversion and allow you to capture a customer? And how much of it are you going to rely on a local professional service provider that it doesn't matter what business car they carry, whether they carry lender A, lender B, or lender C, they're going to get the business anyways, or they're going to carry a Century 21 Remax Compass or anything else. They're going to get the business anyways. So if that's the case, you really have to think about how much brand even matters. But if that's not the case, then you're going to have disruption. So Anthony, it's pretty clear that you're as passionate and, uh, and involved in this industry as you've ever been. So let, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, your recent transition to executive chairman, which, um, which I saw, I saw the announcement. I sent you a congratulations. Cause it feels like a pretty big milestone 
for you. And, uh, I'd love to know how, how you came to the decision as a, as an operator, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, as someone who loves the housing and mortgage world, that now is the right time to, to make this transition. I'm smiling because I'm nervous. It's a nervous smile. So let me, let me, let me, let me tell you that I'm a self-taught survivor. I've been in this business since 1986. I took my first loan application and I processed it myself with a typewriter if you remember those things. So I've been around for for quite some time and I see multiple cycles and I've always tried different things. Uh, Most of them didn't work, but some of it worked well enough for me to survive in this industry now in 2022. Um, We are a real company now, although this company is 12 years old. My two biggest competitors being Rocket and United Wholesale, which both wonderful companies and I appreciate uh, them leading the way and, um, you know, carrying the torch for this industry. And, and, and I'm not making an excuse, but they're both 30 something years old. We're 12 years old. So we have lots of ways to mature. We're not even, you know, even a teenager yet. And one of the things that I would like to do is I want more time to focus on much of the things that you and I have been talking about. And that's where this industry is going to look at uh, opportunities in a big way. And then for me to try to move my time on working on the company rather than working in the company with this massive operating company. Uh, I enjoy it, um, but I, I, I think my highest and best use is to allow a professional management team that can assist the founder and largest shareholder to do what I do best and uh, to give me the opportunity for my highest and best use. And that's the direction that I've been trying to go for ever since I post IPO. And uh, we've been making strategic uh, additions. Uh, George Brady is a big one. He managed 7,000 tech team at Capital One. And he completely converted that entire company. Um, So that was a big one. Uh, Zenet who's uh, our, our uh, chief operating officer and uh, president. Uh, she is a highly experienced P&L operator. Um, she's um, last with, with SoFi. So um, she's on board now. And then, of course, Frank, being a public company CEO of CoreLogic, he took that company from $8 stock to $80 stock. This is just going to allow me to be much, much more curious and much more able to be out on the road and the streets and, and all of that and getting to know uh, some of our potential acquisitions and opportunities okay. going forward. So outside of someone who has experience uh, 10xing a share price, um, what were some of the, the key qualities you were looking for in, in this uh, CEO successor and, and what you found in Frank? I, I didn't want an Anthony Jr. I didn't want an assistant to Anthony. I wanted someone that was a uh, elegant, mature operator that has different skill sets than myself. Founders are dreamers and dreamers are often delusional. So you want an operator that understands how to get somewhere without dreaming, right? I'm a dreamer and I always will be. And that's what people sometimes like to, to work here. Um, so the, the complementary skill set was really important to me and to have the proper IQ 
to understand uh, operation efficiency, technology management, resource management, uh, managing the analysts, the buy side analysts. Um, all of that takes time. And although I've been doing that, um, I think Frank is going to give me a lot more opportunities for me to do what I like, what I think would be the best and highest use of my talents. I thought that the the earnings call on Tuesday was pretty eloquently managed where you you had a lot of airtime, but but Frank wrapped it up and that kind of felt like a um, a, a nice like kind of transition and introduction to, to him in the, in the C to CEO. What, what, ex, what changes do you expect Frank to make? Are there anything like culturally or, or, or it's anything that the industry will notice that Frank will kind of bring to market or execute on change on a, on a faster timeline? You know, Frank is a professional operator. He's a, he's a professional CEO, not to say that I'm not. Um, but, um, his experience at a very high level, um, you know, this is all public information. He's he served on the board of, of the MBA. He's currently on the board of Compass. So he's very contemporary in the real estate space. And CoreLogic is the leader in providing data for the industry, for real estate and, and credit reports and all of that. So we're going to leverage all of that knowledge that he has to create internal efficiency and to create a better level of service for our customers. So that is not a light switch that's going to happen in 60 days. That is a longer you know, pull in the tent. But strategically, we'll be thinking through that and executing to that to create efficiencies and a better experience for our customers. That's really helpful. So, Anthony, as, as we wrap up and kind of knowing your experience in the industry, I, w- I wanted to ask about what are some of the, the data points or like economic indicators that, that you're paying a lot of attention to as you, as you step into this role focused on strategy and, and working on the business? What, what tea leaves are you reading? What metrics are most important as you decide when's the right time to invest in XYZ or pull the trigger or, or, or sit on the sidelines? I'm kind of curious of how you're filtering information. Great question. I, I mean, of course, I'm not an economist, uh, but I don't think economists are right either. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are unprecedented times, um, you know, that's that's really fueled by a health uh, event. It's 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 not just the supply chain issues that we're dealing with today and the inflation. These are all, you know, mechanical things. Right. And, you know, when when you have 10 people buying a product that where there's only inventory seven, it gets bit up. And, you know, so lots of things like that are, are, are happening. But we we, we got to remember some of this is psychological. And that is, you know, working from home and, you know, going through this pandemic has changed all of us. We, we, we operate as humans differently than in 2019 as we do in 2022. And that's going to create a dynamic that is hard to predict. We also need to understand there's $4 trillion of stimulus money that's flying around the economy. That's a lot of cash. So... What is all this going to do? Is inventory going to improve uh, in not just housing, but just, I mean, a bottle of hot sauce is, has doubled in the last nine months, and that's just not sustainable for Americans. So I don't know where this is going, but I know one thing. Uh, inflation is uh, a problem and a focus, and the federal government is going to break the economy to slow inflation down. And when that happens... 
the 10-year yield drops. So I can't tell you when that's going to happen, but I can tell you it's going to happen. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today. Really fascinating to hear about your experience in the mortgage industry and and building Loan Depot and, uh, and where we're headed from here. Clay, it's been a pleasure. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.